Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you, worship team, for helping us to give praise to God today. Amen. And uh, as we look into the word today, I was thinking some of you have been reading this week, right? In the daily Bible, it seems to be quite a buzz about this. You know, can you imagine a buzz about reading the Bible? How cool is that? Yes, Pastor John. Anyway, so uh, you're already up past, if you're on schedule, I think it's a full week's reading now because it's been two weeks, right? So you should be up around chapter 12 of Genesis, maybe a little further. Some fantastic sections here, just to comment quickly. One is uh, Abraham comes on the scene, right? God's choosing his people to bring the good news to the world. And that great promise in chapter 12 comes, In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Blessed. All right? Remember last week my uh, message was the gospel of good success, which I stole the title, but forgive me for that and listen anyway. And I want to come back to that in just a minute, but that was the point, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And this was an individual who was not perfect, just like you and me, isn't it? Now, come on. Oh, oh you are? Oh, no. So... Just like you and me. We're not perfect, right? Abraham, anybody notice when he went down to Egypt what he did? Okay, he fibbed. Okay. So uh, now that's not an excuse to say, well, if he could do it, then we can too. That's not the point. The point is God takes broken people and uses them when we become available to his purpose, okay? And then we come to this phenomenal story where mankind is trying to uh, compete with God's authority, if you will, and the Tower of Babel, that whole story. Isn't it interesting? You have uh, many times in the scripture what are called motifs, and one of the motifs, that's a repeating image, if you will, uh, that communicates something, is called the reversal Isn't it interesting that when the gospel comes with power and the church is birthed in Acts chapter 2, there's a reversal of what happened at Babel. For those of you who don't know, that was the confusion of tongues, right? The Tower of Babel. And so the reversal comes, whereas once man had to be scattered, if you will, as as a judgment, now with the gospel, there's restoration. God is trying to restore what was lost because of the fall, and he gives the means in the gift of tongues, for example, to bring that about. It's kind of exciting and to see it all work out. So that's some of what you've already covered. And, uh, and then we get to that wonderful story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But we, we will pass on from that. Ready? We'll move on to the passage that we're looking at today. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to um, uh, support uh, a mission trip that was mentioned this morning. I just wanted to give reference to it. I don't know which week we'll have a presentation, but... Um, Two of our teachers are taking a group of our students down to Haiti, and um, one of those teachers is in the room right now, so I'm going to impose on Sabrina Vega. Oh, just stand. I'm not going to make you speak. She's making this grimace back there. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you, our, our Spanish teacher from next door. And um, how appropriate, right? Uh, she's involved on a, on a mission trip. And what we wanted to do was rather than do fundraisers, um, I'm going to refrain from commenting I would prefer that we generously give above and beyond when the opportunity comes to support that trip and send them on our way. So we'll take an appropriate 
slot to take a special offering for that in a few weeks. Connor Vizethan, he's in the room somewhere. Oh, he went downstairs because he's serving, which he does, which we appreciate. Wouldn't want anybody to get any of that in their system, you know. How cool is that, amen? All right, so good. Yeah, Connor's gone, there's a few others, and I'm not totally prepared. That was winging it. Okay, thank you. Sabrina, you have something else? Okay, because you're waving at me. Like, don't ever do that to me again. There's four of you. Okay, very good. Well, you'll get more news on that as we move ahead. So, this morning, um, we want to start formally our series on the Ten Commandments. And uh, I thought it might be helpful. uh, We were praying earlier about this, and uh, some of us have been raised on it and can recite them all by memory. No, not really. Very few of us can. But uh, I thought it might be helpful for us just to talk about it for a moment concerning uh, the Ten Commandments. Last week, I used that comical clip of Mel Brooks making believe he was Moses, and he comes down from the mountain and says, you all need to get these 15, and he drops one of the tablets, and it shatters, and he goes, uh, Ten Commandments. And uh, people seem to think sometimes that the Ten Commandments are just kind of an arbitrary thing, or all the commandments of God are an arbitrary thing. He just kind of on a whim, God on a whim, said, oh, let's make these the rules. That's not how it works. But rather, they are based on reality. They're actually connected to how he wired humanity to function. So actually, when we resist his moral commandments... We're resisting reality. We're working against ourselves, if you will. It's probably the easiest way to put it, and it'll be confirmed over and over again as we work our way through it. But if you have um, your uh, bulletin, there's a place for taking notes today, and I thought on the side you can uh, do a little cheat sheet. Anybody remember Cliff Notes when you cheated in school? And uh, I'm going to help you cheat to remember the Ten Commandments because... I've said this before, sometimes when I'm dialoguing with somebody about the gospel and they start getting defensive because almost everybody does, you know, when you start suggesting that maybe you need to be rescued from your sins, you need to be saved, oh, well, I I, I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I've gotten that so many times and I just have to ask, like, which ones are you referring to? And they almost always get, well, you know, I don't kill anybody. They almost always get that one. Yeah, okay, that's one out of ten. Keep going. And we just don't know what they are, right? So next week, we're going to read the entire passage that it's, it's planted. And there's two texts in the, New, in the Old Testament. Exodus 20, which is why I have that reference. Notice that it's not ten verses. Do you see that? It's 17 verses. Because the commandments, as you work your way through, have some commentary attached to them. Why ignoring it might be working to your disadvantage. And why obeying it is working to your advantage. And he works you through all of that. But we'll take that up next week. For today, I just want to have a little fun and maybe give you a little cheat sheet way of keeping track of the Ten Commandments. Because, come on, let's be honest. How many of you can say right now, I can, I can list them off from one to ten? In order. No, 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 no. Okay, so let's go at it, right? 
This is the abridged version of Exodus 20. First one, I am the Lord your God, shall have no other gods before me. So the first one's God. I'm going to give you one word answers so you remember them. So if I say God, you, that should be obvious. Shall have no other God before me. What comes next? No idols. So idol, that's the next one. You shall not make an idol and worship it, etc. The third one. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So name. Easy enough? Name. God, idol, name. What's next? Oh, boy, we're going to have fun with that. We started discussing that in prayer meeting. I almost didn't get into church this morning. (laughs) Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? So Sabbath. Next one. Nope. See? You forgot all about your parents. Man. We're going to have to talk. Yeah, that's it. Honor your father and your mother. So parents, okay, parents. By the way, it's transitional. The first four are all about God, right? And then there's this block called honor your father and your mother, and there's a, there's a blessing attached to it because it's transitional between God and mankind's socialization. It's transitional. We're going to come to that when we teach on Honor your father and your mother. Next one, murder, murder. Shall not commit murder. When you see it in Hebrew, the word for don't or no is low, and it's low, 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 low. Means no, 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 no. Next one is murder. The one after that is? Yes, which I'm going to change the word so we'll remember it. Immorality. Stealing. You shall not steal, lying. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, coveting. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, okay? So those are the answers. God, idols, name, Sabbath, parents, murder, immorality, stealing, lying, coveting. Easy enough? You can change them if you want to. The the whole point of that is so that we remember. These are the rules. This is what God had in mind. And it's kind of a a capsule, if you will, of the essential moral law of God. We get really confused when it comes to the law because Christians know we don't get saved and we don't live the Christian life by trying to practice law. And so we get very confused. We either slide on one end where we're very legalistic And we have all these rules that we impose not only on ourselves but everybody else. Or we slide in the other direction. Oh, thank God there are no rules. (laughs) I want to join that church and do whatever I want. Church of the what's happening now. So, oh, you never went there. Sorry. Let me just read something. Uh, This guy knew something about the gospel. Uh, Let me see. His name is uh, Martin Luther. Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, provoked the, uh, the Great Reformation, discovered the gospel in the book of Romans as he was instructing priests under his uh, tutelage, and the lights came on and his life was transformed, and so was history as a result because we got away from law that wasn't working into the life of the gospel. But he, in his catechism, this is Luther's small catechism, helps us a little bit with some answers about the law. So all of this is... Mostly introduction. My sermon's only two hours, so that'll be next. Oh, stop. Anyway, 
That was a joke. For those of you who didn't get that, I'm, I, yeah, don't, I need drums. Okay. Why has God given us his law? Well, that is the truth, and that's how it works in the New Testament. God has given us his law because he created us. And because he created us, therefore, he expects us to do his will. Huh. Okay, so we'll leave that right there. How many kinds of law are revealed in the Bible? This is where evangelicals get messed up. Okay, are you with me? How many kinds of law are revealed in the Bible? Nope, three. Ceremonial law, all the rules of sacrifices and cleanness and uncleanness and all of that that the Hebrews had to obey. Civil law, this is how you acquire taxes. These are your judges and rulers and kings and all of that. Civil law and the moral law. What is based in absolute morality and ethics that is built into the way God made us? It's built into the real universe. So, ceremonial, civil, moral. What is the moral law? Here's a nice little capsule. The moral law expresses man's duty toward God and his fellow man. Simple enough? Man's moral duty toward God and his fellow man. Which, by the way, the next question, I'm not even going to read his answer. Which of these laws are still binding on men today? For, for believers, which ones? The moral law. No, the moral law. You don't have to practice Judaism, do you? If you're a Gentile, that was a big fight in the New Testament times. You don't have to. You don't have to be under the civil law of a king of Israel. Right? Because that state doesn't even exist today. It's a different state in Israel. No, but we are under obligation to the moral law, that which is basically coming out of the nature of God, and he made us in his image, therefore we're a reflection of that, and so the wiring that he put in us is congruent with the moral law revealed in the scripture. Is that clear? Or not yet? Mostly. It's mostly clear. There's a big difference between being all clear and mostly clear. Never mind. That's exactly what I was quoting, but nobody got it. Okay. Whom does God mean when he says, you shall or you shall not? Yes, it's all about Bill. You're the one. The rest of us are off the hook. When God says you shall or you shall not, it means me and all other men and women. Right? One more. What two things must we remember in each commandment? In each commandment, we must remember the evil which God forbids and the good which God requires. There's two sides. You know, the, the gospel of good success. There's blessing. I didn't emphasize last week, there's also cursing. When you read the Old Testament, he says, if you refuse to listen to this, here's the consequences that are going to come down on you. We love to be free of consequences, but it doesn't work that way. I think I've quoted my old friend, uh, A.B. Blair, a dear pastor back in Tucson. He was a good old southern boy. 
And he used to say, you know, you can't sow your wild oats and then pray for crop failure. (laughs) There's going to be consequences. Thank God, in his grace, he frees us and delivers us and is merciful to us from so many consequences we could have experienced. But you can't presume on God ever because we're dealing with the laws of nature that cannot be altered. You hold a rock over your foot and drop... Oh, I shouldn't use that illustration. You hold a rock over your brand new Mercedes, you're going to dent it when you let go. The law of nature is not going to be suspended because you don't want it to hurt your car. Was that better? Okay, she's got a sore foot. Okay. All right. So today I want to move on, and and I want to simply say this, that when I spoke about the gospel of good success, that that is a reference to all things being normal. What is good success for me? If you're Corey Ten Boom and you're in a concentration camp, the gospel of good success is that he may give you mercy to live through it, you may be able to honor God through that process. And she amazingly found reasons to give thanks to God and come through victoriously, even though the circumstances were extremely difficult. What are we called to? Sometimes we're called to difficulty. But all things being equal, the intention of God is to bless us. That's the point. And so I just wanted to clarify that because some people think there's never a negative side to the life which we live as believers. There are people around the globe serving Jesus today who have it a lot harder than we're ever going to experience. And sometimes it's just because they are following Jesus that they're experiencing. Are they not under God's blessing? Of course they are. And for them, the good success they experience may simply be seeing the victory of forgiveness over evil transformation of their persecutors, whatever it might happen to be. Okay. So now I want to move on to the 10th commandment. What? Yes. I want to start at the bottom. Is that okay? Doesn't matter whether you like it. I'm doing that, okay? And here's why. Because, and I've shared this before, when you follow the Ten Commandments down that list which I gave you, God, idols, names, Sabbath, parents, murder, immorality, stealing, lying, and coveting, what you're doing is you're working from the most important in terms of social impact to the least important. You work your way up from the bottom. If you were to break those commandments, cultural results get worse and worse and worse and worse. So let's start where we can nip it in the bud. Start at the bottom because he says something at the end to keep us from working our way up the... Yes, thank you. That'll work. Everybody with me? So that's why we're going to start at the bottom and work our way up, if you don't mind. Uh, So we will go there. So let's start with this interesting command... Uh, Let me just show you. The journey to the dark side. That's why I'm wearing my Star Wars. (laughs) People give me all kinds of clothes to wear. I can't always wear them in church. Uh, Never mind. And, uh, I mean, a lot of them are T-shirts, which I don't wear in church. But but I thought, this one's going to work this time. This one's going to work. This one fits. Star Wars. And there's the epitome of the dark side right there. Huh? You are a rebel spy and a traitor. Take her away. Anyway, 
Who didn't? No, 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 don't do that. You'll just encourage me to stay off track. It's not good. But I want to start with a picture of this command, how the journey to the dark side begins, if we may. The heat is swelling in you now. Take your Jedi weapon. Use it. I am unarmed. Strike me down with it. Give in to your anger. With each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant. No. It is unavoidable. It is your destiny. You, like your father, are now mine. Pom, pom, pom. Anyway, everybody recognize it? Where does it start? Later on, the, the same uh, emperor says, strike me down. He says, uh, your journey to the dark side will be complete if you give in to your anger. Right? That's where the journey to the dark side begins, what's going on between your ears. And that's why the commandments end with this warning, this desire to get us off of the wrong trail that would lead us up the ladder into more and more destructive behavior. Here's what it says in the scripture. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You will not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant, his ox, his donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Most of you are sitting here saying, well, my neighbor doesn't have a donkey. He doesn't have an ox. He does have a sports car, though. Maybe a motorcycle, pool, boat, whatever, four houses, whatever it might happen to be. It's about stuff, but it's also about people. Let me show it to you from the other passage. Exodus 20 is one passage. Deuteronomy 5 is the other restatement of the Ten Commandments. Here's what it says. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. I want you to notice here that there's a little shift. In fact, did anybody pick up? There's a separate word used. The first one's covet. Desire. So there's two words in this text. They're synonyms, but they help flex it, uh, you know, fill it out a little. They, they, there's a nuance in the way these words are used. The first one is to covet, has to do, well, let me just show you the word, chamad in the Hebrew. And it simply means to desire, to visually take pleasure in something. I see it, I like it, I want it. Okay? That's an outward stimulus. It is a synonym, but it's caused by an outward stimulus. I see it and I want it. The second word, desire, is ava. And that word means an inclination, a craving, and it's associated, can I just put it, craving slash greed. There's an inner, I gotta have this. They're synonyms, and yet, there's a bit of a nuance to it. 
We were teaching our kids years ago. And by the way, those of you who don't like Star Wars music, I apologize. If I got us off track, my humble apologies. What I earnestly desire is that we get the truth of God's word, not just in our brain, but down in our hearts so that we live it. And so I don't want to distract from that. My, my apology. No? No need? Well, just in case. We were teaching our children. I hope you, as a parent, have not relied on Sunday school and Christian school to instruct your children. I was interacting with a brother this last week. I'm going to embarrass him one day, but I'll ask permission first. Because he used a beautiful illustration uh, to help instruct his daughter. And uh, it will be appropriate to share that when I come to the appropriate commandment. But that's what should be normal, that we're instructing. So one day, we're instructing our children. We had quiet time. Monday was my day off, and the kids all knew after school we were going to be together as a family, and we were going to have quiet time. And it was really fun because sometimes, you know, they rode the bus home from school, and that was enough ammunition right there to have an extensive quiet time about why people are broken and what's wrong in this home and how come that kid was beating up another kid and how come this happened and that happened. Once in a while, though, we could actually instruct and lead. And uh, we did when we started teaching them about the Ten Commandments. So we got down to the command about coveting. And my youngest son, I could see the wheels going around. He was a lot of fun. There, There were... A number of times that the wheels would go around and he would come up with something that would just slay us, you know. This one was uh, about coveting. There was a young lady married to a guy in our church who was strikingly attractive. And he said one day, I know what you're talking about. I covet Mrs. Bukema. (laughs) Of course, after we rolled on the floor, then we got back on task. And yes... (laughs) Very glad you're healthy. However, (laughs) that's exactly the point. (laughs) You don't want to go there. And that's the kind of thinking you have to nip in the bud. It's okay to notice that I like that, but it's not okay to start climbing the ladder. We get blurry on this because in our culture, there's kind of a sedative that hits us. And that's because most of what we see and want, we don't have to take our neighbor's although people do it, obviously. Stealing relates, adultery relates, go through many of the commandments. We do exactly that. However, uh, we can go out and buy our own. And there's nothing wrong with going out and buying your own if God has given you the ability to do it. The problem is, and where we kind of blur on this, is we don't realize maybe God isn't really interested in having your appetite always satisfied. In other words, coveting, desiring. That's why we get blurry on this. And this problem began way back. In fact, how many, are, how many of you have the uh, Daily Bible and are reading it? Okay. Well, you had to be past chapter 3 already, right? The very beginning. You know what happened. The serpent said to the woman, you should surely not die. God said, don't do this or you're going to die. And he meant it. And they did. And see... We're kind of like, uh, today, we're kind of like reading that Old Testament story that when they ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to, it wasn't an apple, by the way, just to clarify. It wasn't cold enough in Eden to have apples. Impossible. 
Did you know that? See, I'm just a wealth of knowledge, but, but not much use. Anyway, they ate a fruit. What's that? We don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. People guess that it's a pomegranate, whatever. But here's the point. They ate it. They didn't fall over dead instantly. So that's what we do. We say, well, I didn't see death at work. Nobody fell over dead. You know, I got away with this and nothing terrible happened. I smoked dope for five months. It didn't cause anything. Not yet. doesn't mean you're going to fall over dead now. It means death is starting its work and guaranteed. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like, God, what more do you want? Knowing good and evil. When the woman saw, get this now, here's those two words. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a... Delight to the eye. And it was desirable. Ooh, I can be like God. I'll be brilliant. To make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And then she gave it to her husband also with her. And he ate. And whose fault was it? His. Anyway, so we had a big discussion about that. My point is, it was what? A delight to the eyes and desirable. Covet and desire, coveting and desire. Both of them working together brings, unfortunately, this terrible tragedy into the universe. So, of course, we know that if God puts a good thing out in front of us, it must be his fault then. Right? When I was a, when I was a younger person, a long time ago, they had these advertisements on television. They still do that? Yeah, they do. There was an advertisement. I'll never forget it. I grew up in New York City. In New York City, you lock your doors and you lock your car. I mean, it's ingrained in me. I'm living out in the country where there's nobody but wild turkey and deer. I still lock my car in the driveway. And people laugh at me. I said, go ahead. Yeah, those deer are really criminals, I'll tell you. But anyway... No, you'd still have somebody come by and try to get it. You know, it could happen. So safe for just to lock it. They used to have an advertisement, though. Don't help a good boy go bad. Lock your car. Well, piffle. I'm not going to help a good boy go bad by leaving my car unlocked. I might allow a bad boy to be bad. I understand the principle. Just lock your car anyway, Okay. Don't text while you're driving. Oh, I'll stay on tra- task, but anyway. There's just sensible things to do. But the problem is, if I'm already desiring and already coveting, see, what I'm doing is secondary. That person is on that path heading into death, if you will. No, it's not God's fault. In the, in the book of James, James exhorts us in the first chapter, don't let anybody say, when he's tempted, it's God's fault. That's literally what he's saying. Oh, it's God's fault. Uh, he put this in front of me. He wanted me to do this. That's why he gave it to me. You know, if he didn't want me to do that, he wouldn't have give, made it so easy for me to fall into it. Wah. No, let me explain what's happening, James says. Each one of you is tempted when you're carried away and enticed by your own lust. By the way, the word lust, epithumia, it can be negative or positive. Strong desire, that's what it translates as, strong desire. 
That's all it means. When you look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, that word about coveting is that word, strong desire. Strong desire. It can be good or it can be bad. Each one is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Here's what happens. Here's the progression. Here's the way you go up the ladder. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to... Yeah, you act out on it. And when sin happens, it brings forth... I'm not making this stuff up, brothers and sisters. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Oh, I better read that again. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Eve and Adam were deceived. We can allow ourselves... No, it isn't going to happen. It won't bring forth death in my case. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. When lust is conceived, the act of sin occurs. When sin is occurring and is accomplished, it will produce death. Remember, death is not just going boom. All the negative consequences that enter into life, into marriage, into our finances, into our culture, into the ecology, into our government. You think there's any death in our government today? In our national... Um, what's the word? Morale. There's plenty of it. So, if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Joshua, which is actually the text I'm preaching out of today. Can you believe that? I made that up, but it is in here. I'm using it as the illustration. Joshua chapter 8. If you're using the book that's in your uh, chair pocket there, it's page 230. It's the reference that we have is uh, Joshua 7, 19 through 22. Let me set it up for you. When God was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land under the reign, the rule of Joshua, he was the military commander. God made it clear, if you'll do, in fact, we used that verse last week from chapter 1. You will have good success if this book of the law does not depart, meaning doesn't leave your mind Keep the book of the law in the forefront of your mind. Obey everything it says, and then you will have good success. The intention was when God sent his armies into those lands, they should have run off. But if they didn't, no Israelite was going to lose his life. They were going to win continually. And the very second battle after the battle of Jericho was the battle of Ai. You're going to be reading this not too far down in your daily Bible, right? They go to the, the battle of Ai after they had taken Jericho where there were specific commands from God. And that was that every bit of gold and silver and property, anything of value was to be dedicated to God. Nobody was supposed to take anything. Normally in war, you're allowed to take the spoils of war, but not in this case. But there was one guy who thought... It isn't going to happen. It doesn't work for me. I'm an exception. I can get away with this. And so here's where it happens. They go up to AI. They get clobbered. And they're in distress. What happened? God just pulled the plug. There's no power anymore. And they're weeping and wailing. And God says to Joshua, get up and shut up. 
not verbatim, but that was pretty close. Get up. What are you whining about? Israel has sinned, and I'm not going to go with you into battle unless you fix this. And the guy's still hiding because they have to go through a lottery system to find out who it was. And wouldn't you know, accidentally, the lot falls on this man, Achan. That was a joke, you know. No accidents. It falls on Achan, the perpetrator, who is in cahoots with his whole family to hide it in his tent. Here's what happens. Joshua, chapter 7, and starting in which verse? 19. Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, look at this, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 weights, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them. And I took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Joshua sent messengers. They ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath. They took them from inside the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. You know what happened to Achan? It wasn't a pretty ending. And we read that and say, oh, that was terrible. His whole family gets executed. Oh, yeah, it was really terrible. Not from my chair it wasn't. 36 men of Israel did not come home to their wives and children because of Achan's evil. Read it for yourself. 36 lives dashed on the rocks because of one family's wicked complicity with sin. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And in this case, it was literal. It literally brought death. Because this man acted, rather than acting in trust, in obedience, in gratitude for what God was doing, he took matters into his own hand and ignored the principle, ignored the Tenth Commandment, which they had gotten already, and started climbing up the ladder. Right? He coveted. He stole it. He lied to cover it up, and only when he was caught. I love that kind of repentance. When you catch them, then they repent. So, let me go back to Martin Luther for a minute, if I may. He gives us a little explanation of what is involved in the Tenth Commandment. Why has God given us the Tenth Commandment? What is the purpose of it? Here's what he says. You shall not covet. You should fear and love God so that we do not tempt, force, or coax away from our neighbor, his wife, or his workers, or anybody else, but urge them to stay and do their duty. What evil does God forbid in the Tenth Commandment? In the Tenth Commandment, God forbids every effort which, which would interfere, listen to this, with the proper service our neighbor receives from others. 
In other words, this is the beginning of manifesting the greater law. Remember when Jesus said, you can sum this whole thing up in two commands. What are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. If I love my neighbor, I want his prosperity. I want his blessing. I don't want to rip him off. You know what I love about this uh, catechism? These guys were so straightforward, you know. The illustration he used, this is for those of you who have Bible background. Otherwise, you may not get this. Absalom stole the hearts of the people from his father, David. Coveting. I want power. I want the glory. My father's a jerk. Can't help what he is, but that's beside the point. David made some mistakes, but Absalom took something that was none of his affair. That was a great illustration, I thought. Why has God given us two commands that say, you shall not covet, Deuteronomy and Exodus? Why? God has given us two commandments that say, you shall not covet, to impress upon us that coveting, envy, and jealousy are very serious sins. Hmm. Okay. Especially, here's the good part, especially because they are the roots of so many other sins. Up the ladder we go. Everybody with me? I thought Martin Luther was pretty smart there on that. Aiken, what a tragedy. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. It does Bear fruit. The, the crop will come up. God may give you some mercy. Maybe it won't kill you. Maybe it won't destroy your home. Maybe it won't wreck your finances. Maybe it won't ruin every relationship you have with people. Good reason to stay off Facebook. But anyway, maybe it won't do all that. But trust me, there will be the seeds and influence of death. Guaranteed. So I I just love it when people get this right. I I don't know that we've totally gotten this right yet. The only way to walk in freedom and the gospel of good success when you step in it and blow it is to say, I blew it! Don't hide it from me, Joshua says. Don't hide it. Come clean. Give glory to who? Give glory to God by telling the truth. There's a spiritual leader that I, I don't, respect his um, where he ended up but he had a great quote so I'm not even going to give you his name but he had a great quote when we confess our sin then God does not get blamed with the consequences but when Christians refuse to confess their sin they won't admit what they've done wrong then God gets smeared and blamed with the consequences and we wonder why people aren't interested in this glorious phenomenal savior Jesus, who we've sung about this morning. So what's the way home? That, this rule is trying to guard our hearts so that we will actually love our fellow man rather than being preoccupied with our own selfishness. It's, it's, it's like why God gives you children, you parents. Why did God give you children? Helps you get over your own selfishness, right? There's, there's, and humble, too. Yeah, that's another thing. And poor. And, uh, but anyway... But you get what I'm saying. There's grace in all of that. So how do I return home? How do I get back? Um, You've heard me say before, really, the battle of the Christian life takes place right here. 
We have three enemies. The world is an enemy. And the world, the world as God made it is a great thing. The things in the world can be enjoyed or they can ruin us, depending on how we respond to it. The world, the flesh, which is in us, that desire, and the adversary, Satan, right? We've got those enemies. But every one of those enemies, the place you win is right between your ears. That's where the battle is fought. That's where the journey to the dark side begins. And that's where the journey back home has to take place. You've got to start there. Sometimes I'm struggling with some difficulty, some whatever it might be. In my case, it's probably fear or anger. And, uh, and from the moment I make up my mind, I'm going to put that thing to death, my spirit calms. Once I make up my mind, doesn't mean I've sorted it all out yet, but i got to make up my mind, I'm getting back on the highway and go back where I came from. So I've often described it, especially what goes on in our mind, that you're driving along, having a wonderful time. Those of you who like to drive and, and see territory, you know, see, see countryside. When I lived in the West, it was, there were some phenomenal places of scenery to see, you know. Uh, beautiful red red sandstone monument valleys and stuff like that. It's just awesome. And you're driving while having a great time. And you go through a city. Wow, it's an interesting city. And then you you all of a sudden realize I'm in a really bad neighborhood. Look at all these shops are dirty and all of the drugs and everything. How did I get here? You took the wrong turn off the highway. And you know what? Never do this in real life. I've seen crazy people in Orange County doing this. Don't ever do this. But you are allowed in the spirit to slam your car into reverse and back up the ramp you just came down. Don't do it in real life. You can do that. Back right up. How did I get here? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to journey home. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Get back on the highway where life was light and life rather than death. How do, I, how do I stay on that path? There are some disciplines we need to bring into our life, and the Holy Spirit will help those who are his children. Here's a famous text, by the way. Let me just show you this one. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Oh, contentment. That's a lost thing, isn't it? For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Every once in a while, I have to remind myself of that. Sitting down and eating, it's not raining on my head at the moment. The house is warm, have a cozy bed, have a refrigerator, probably most of us, not all of us, but substantial amount of food in there. Having food and covering, with this I should be content. And not only that, Lord, i got to say right now, thank you that I got way beyond food and covering. The other day I was watching this preacher that, uh, that uh, um, I think Ryan sent me a clip of him one other time, but we were watching it on our own volition this time. And he was just talking about thanks. Thanks about, thank you that my ears work. My legs work. Whatever it is, thank you that this is, thank you that my car started this morning. Thank you that nobody's starving. Thank you that we're not afflicted in this way. Thank you that my children are doing well here. Thank you, thank you. There's so many things. I need to get this uh, attitude into my spirit, gratitude and contentment. We cannot take anything out. So if we have food and covering, with these we can be content. There's one other thing. I want to show you one other text, and I'll just read a couple illustrations, and I'll let us go. 
For this you know with certainty, Ephesians says through the Apostle Paul, that no immoral or impure person, what does it say next? Or what kind of man? I'm sure glad this only applies to men. (laughs) You all get that, right? Nah. Or a covetous man who is what? Who is an idol? What was wrong with Achan? (sighs) Here's a God who had just taken care of an entire Egyptian army, had just given them an entire city. You know that there was more to come. No, I can't wait. I got to have my idol now. Like God doesn't exist. The essence of unbelief, idolatry. A covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one, here it comes again, I sound like a broken record. Let no one, what? Deceive you with empty words. Oh, the, no, it's, I mean, I remember when I got sucked into the drug culture. I remember my friend said, I know what you think and I know what you've heard, but it's not really like that. Yes, it was. But I fell for his garbage. Let no one deceive you with empty words. His words were empty and I was deceived. And we are, if we're not on our guard. The battle starts here. And I can control, I can get back on the right journey home by guarding what's in my heart. It's not just, if I may say, about stuff. It may be about power or vengeance or something I just can't resist dumping on somebody. Anybody know what I mean? Nah. Did you see that post? Ooh, I'm so mad. I'm going to take care of that guy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his chapter on ministry and life together, excellent text. The ministry of holding one's tongue. We need that ministry badly. Me too. You don't have to wave at me. I mean, it's me too. Often we combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. I love this line. This is my favorite coming up here. He who holds his tongue in check controls both mind and body. That's the James says that. Thus, I love this, it must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual is prohibited from saying much that occurs to him. (laughs) Everybody get that? Most of what's running on your inside screen, don't even repeat it. Just be quiet. Make sure I'm speaking. I'm still working on that, brothers and sisters. Okay, nobody's arrived. It can be my desire for vengeance. It can be... um, the influence of power, like, like Absalom. It can be a problem of jealousy. I want what he wants. It's not his car. It's not his swimming pool. Maybe not even his wife. I want the power. I want the influence. How many pastors have fallen into immorality with someone because they were trying to get up a side of the power position in the church? It's all it was. It's, it's a psychological deception. It's like, this isn't going to work. As soon as you succeed, 
if I can be crass, as soon as you succeed in bagging him, all the power's done. There's an article written, not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He talks about the disciples, and he opens it up with this. It's a great little article by a guy named uh, Horsberg, from what I remember, yeah. This profound truth is stated by our Lord himself. The Son of Man came to serve. The incident that prompted his words was sad. Two of his disciples, James and John, wanted to be exalted by being granted the chief places in his glory. Anybody remember that story? My mom wants me to ask you, can we be at your right hand and your left when we get to heaven so we're the big shots? First of all, shut up, Mom. We already read about that. What came through your mind shouldn't have been spoken. But number two, they actually asked, and here's what happened. When the others heard about it, they were highly indignant because they're so righteous. No, because they wanted those seats. (laughs) You guys don't have enough fun. Consider that most hateful thing we call jealousy. Someone else is praised. Someone else does better than you. Someone else is more fortunate. They have the honor, the success, the popularity, the spiritual gift, perhaps. I don't know what it is. The happy marriage, whatever it is. They're better off in your mind. You wanted it for yourself. The power went to them. The popularity went to them. I want it. You wanted to be exalted. And because he received all the glory, you're jealous. You're angry. You hate him. Yeah, behold, Lord, is it me? Is it I? Yes, it is. Not to be ministered unto. It might be simply attention. It doesn't have to just be stuff. You see how the battle takes place here. It can be hatred. It can be sexual lust. It can be power, office, greed, all the toys, all the money, whatever it is. I'm on the journey up the ladder. I'm in a bad place already. I need to get up on that exit ramp and go home where there's a God who loves me and will take care of me and he's all that I really need. That's why we sang songs this morning like, Be Thou My Vision, Great is Thy Faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. I can't sing that without weeping. It's not always that I've had what I wanted, but all that I've needed. See, Achan didn't believe God or trust him. And that's why coveting The journey to the dark side overtakes. We don't have to go there. We've got the Holy Spirit, and I want to spend time coaching us how to push back. Gratitude, contentment, those are noble thought processes to work on and can, in fact, make a difference with where I'm living. And we want it to. So let's stand together as we close today. I want to thank you that last week as... The Spirit prompted people to pray that you heard me by not making a lot of noise on the way out. Today, I'm not putting you under that authority, but we are available if somebody wants to pray or reset their compass. And in the days ahead, we may need to do more of that, and we'll trust God to help us with that. So let me pray for you. Uh, Our leaders, our group leaders, which we had a good start, are meeting in this auditorium in a short while for coaching. And so if you're one of those, don't forget and leave because you'll be going up the ladder if you do that. And I don't want you to do that. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, thank you that these commands that have been given us were reminded from last week. They're not that far from you. You don't have to go across the ocean to get them. You don't have to get a spaceship to the moon to find them. They're right as close as our breath. Your principles are built into our wiring. You made us to love you first, and you made us to live in community, which means we have to love our brothers and sisters and our neighbors like ourselves. So keep us from going up the ladder. Strengthen our inner man to obey and to enjoy the gospel of good success rather than sowing the seeds that will produce death. Help your people. Thank you for the progress that we're making as a congregation. And I ask God that all good growth would be watered abundantly by the Holy Spirit and that you would be manifested among us. We'll thank you for helping us. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you and have a great afternoon.